Romans, hello. Yeah, Romans chapter 8, uh, turn it down just a little bit now that we've got it on. Let's, uh, <laughs> I want you to, uh, I hope you got a bulletin. If you did not, raise your hand. If you did not get a bulletin, you need to have the handout that's inside the bulletin because uh, I want to read something for you and give you an opportunity, if you can see the fine print, to read it back with me. Um, it's the parable of the fisherman. And if you'd rather just sit and listen, I'm just going to read. Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Year after year, those who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. Continually, they searched for new and better definitions of fishing. They sponsored costly nationwide and worldwide congresses to discuss fishing and promote fishing and hear about all the ways of fishing. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman. Every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they didn't fish. They organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. The board was formed by those who had the great vision and courage to speak about fishing, to define fishing, and to promote the idea of fishing and faraway streams and lakes where many other fish of different colors lived. Also, the board hired staffs and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, to defend fishing, and to decide what new streams should be considered. But the staff and committee members did not fish. Expensive training centers were built to teach fishermen how to fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishiology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, graduates were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters filled with fish. Further, the fishermen built large printing houses to publish fishing guides. A speaker's bureau was also provided to schedule special speakers on the subject of fishing. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded and were sent to fish. But like the fishermen back home, they never fished. Some also said they wanted to be part of the fishing party, but they felt called to furnish fishing equipment. Others felt their job was to relate to fish in a, in a good way so the fish would know the difference between the good and the bad fishermen. After one stirring meeting on the necessity of fishing, a young fellow left the meeting and went fishing. The next day he reported he had caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and scheduled to visit all the big meetings possible to tell how he did it. So he quit fishing in order to have time to tell about the experience to the other fishermen. He was also placed on the fisherman's general board as 
as a person having considerable experience. Now, it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who, had, uh, who made fun of the fishermen's clubs and, and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen yet never fished. They wondered about those who felt it was of little use uh, to attend the weekly meetings to talk about fishing. After all, were they not following the master who said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who didn't catch fish were really not fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never catches a fish? And that's convicting. I don't know about you, but uh, that kind of speaks to me where I live. And I think that speaks to all of us, honestly. Jesus said, follow me, Matthew 4.19. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Today I want to talk to you about being a fisher of men. And I want to talk to you as one who doesn't just talk about fishing. And I want you to listen as one who doesn't just listen to talks about fishing. Last week we talked about the fact that we, we'd celebrated the wonderful event of the resurrection of Christ. And now that we're confident that he's alive and and working in our lives and in the world that we live, we ask the question, what next? What's really important or what, or what should be important in the lives of believers? What is it going to take if we're going to succeed in our Christian lives? We talked about the importance of life that's, that's pure. We talked about the success of the church in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5 and verse 42. You have to forgive me. I've got to get this thing settled here. For some reason, I'm not hanging on right. We're having more trouble with this demon-possessed sound system today. Than... All right, maybe it'll work. I'm not sure where the microphone wound up, but anyway. We talked about uh, the, the success of the early church. Acts 5.42 said daily in, in, in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Uh, the church in Acts was tremendously successful. Uh, in a sentence, the secret of the success of the church in Acts, we said is basically because the principles of God's Word were integrated into the lives of the individuals who were the church. In other words, the Word of God and the principles of God's Word were not just something they talked about or taught about or enjoyed hearing about. They were principles that became part of their lives. 
And that's what the Christian life is about. It is a way of life. Today I want to, uh, after posing those questions, and we asked some very pointed, sobering questions last week, about how we carry out our duties as members of God's family and God's church. We ask, uh, what are we doing in the world where we live when we aren't in the organized services of the church? Maybe that's why we got fewer people here today. <laughs> we got people out being the church this morning, right? <laughs> we need to be the church every day of the week. You know, you can't, and, and honestly, don't let this affect you because there's certainly a sign of maturity when, when you have to ask some difficult questions and you don't particularly like the, the answers that you have to give yourself and, and the Lord, don't get discouraged and want to just bail out. Let God's Word and God's Spirit change your life to be what it should be. In fact, that's what happens sometimes when we, we get convicted about something and we don't want that conviction, so we push the Lord and His Word at, arm, at arm's length and try to ignore it and neglect it. And as a result, we find ourselves missing some tremendous blessings. Today I want to talk to you a little bit more specifically for a few minutes about the importance of a personal witness. Being a fisher of men. Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses, Acts 1.8. He didn't say, you know, it would be a great thing if you would be my witnesses. He said, you will be. He gave us a command, didn't he? That's the, the Great Commission. Jesus, in fact, in Matthew 28.19, literally, where we would read, go into the, uh, go into the world... And teach every nation. Literally, you go back into the original language. It, there is something that is that is left out of the English translation there, and it is basically the idea of, you know, what he's what he is saying is, as you are going. In other words, you're going to be going, so do something. As you are going into the world, make disciples of people. Bring people into the kingdom. Fish for men. And the great news is, we were talking about fishing this morning. Travis and and, uh, and Dave and I were talking about fishing and how the uh, how exciting it is, and how some of them are really hard to keep or hard to catch. And you got to be smarter than the fish. I found out. And it kind of eliminates me as a good fisherman sometimes because it's hard to catch some of those things. And the good news is about when you're fishing for men, though, all you have to do is trust the Lord to give you a catch. Because he's the one has got to catch them anyway. But what he's, what he's expecting us to do is get a hook in the water. Because you don't catch anything unless you've got something, unless you've got a... Got, got a hook in the water. And we are, we are God's hooks. And the, and the gospel is God's, God's message is, is, you want to call it bait, whatever. Uh, I'd say it's pretty good bait. And it's worth going after. Well, as we talk about being fishers of men, 
Talking about being the witness for Jesus Christ that we ought to be and that he's told us that we should be. We need to understand that our witness of our faith in Christ is vitally important to our friends and neighbors. I am convinced there's not a Christian alive that had someone that they loved and they knew that that person was going hungry. There's not a Christian alive who wouldn't offer them something to eat. Yet we stand by as the church of Jesus Christ and let people go to hell because we don't really care enough about their soul you say that's harsh no it's true you can call it harsh if you want to but it's true we do we let we we think somebody else will tell them you know it may be i've had people who cl- claim to be christians that wouldn't even wouldn't even witness to their kids they just need to make up their mind themselves I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to do everything I can to win people to Christ that I, that I know and love. Dave and I were having coffee earlier this week, and I was sharing with him when I got saved, and he told me the same thing. We had the same testimony. When we got saved, we, we ran to the people that we loved. I had godly parents, and but they were... A little off base on some stuff while I was growing up. And while my my dad was a great prayer warrior and was one who wanted to serve God with all he had in him, I never heard the plan of salvation. I never, I never heard how to go to heaven. If I did, I wasn't listening. Now, there's a good chance I might have heard it and didn't wasn't listening, you know? You know how you are when you're when you're wanting to be somewhere else, you know. But that's all right. There was a good seed sown there, and I thank God for a lot of that. But when I got saved as a 27 year old man, my daddy had already he'd already passed away, but my mom hadn't. And I knew my mom was a godly woman, but I wasn't sure. I knew there was one way to get to heaven, and I knew one thing was going to happen. If nothing else happened, I was going to talk to her about her soul and whether or not she had ever she could literally look back to a particular event a time in her life when she called on Jesus Christ to be her personal savior I I can tell you she gave me a great awesome testimony and I'm convinced she's saved fact is I was telling my wife the other day today is is my mom's birthday she'd be a hundred years old if she were alive today she just passed away five years ago. Yeah, five, no, six years ago. She was ninety-four when she passed away. Good night. But I—I'll tell you, I go right back to this whole thing. I wasn't going to let anything keep me from talking to her about the Lord. And she smiled when I did. And she understood why I was doing what I did. I didn't care how big a fool I looked like. I didn't care how. And, and there were others in my life I did the same thing with. My kids growing up didn't want to go to church any more than I did when I was a kid. 
until they started going enough to where they started listening. I made them go. We didn't have a discussion whether or not we were going to go or weren't going to go or whatever. So you're going because you are my child, because I love you, and because I want you to hear the gospel. And they did. Oh, I can tell you, it was so it. Children's church workers and and just used, I never forget, especially our middle daughter Heather. Every week they'd come. Heather was Heather. Heather came for her. she wanted to get saved again this week. I said, "Well, good." She one of these days she's going to get it right. She's about five years old, something like you, you know. You don't. Well, they gently dealt with her. Thank God for that. I had others to deal with with my kids so that I, I could make sure. I made a a priority of of winning people to Christ. I didn't care what people thought of me. Number one, I had a command to do it, but beyond that, I didn't care if I had a command or not. I love those people, and I don't want them to go to hell. And I also recognize that there's some other things that 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 the gospel would some other needs that the gospel would meet for them. You know, there are, there are a lot of problems plaguing this world. Our friends and our loved ones are in the, in the midst of these problems, and, and they have some great needs. Folks, the people in, in our community have some great needs. You don't believe it? Just stop and think. Just stop and take a little mental inventory for, for, for a minute. Every time they build a high school, what's built right next door to it on the same property or maybe at least right next door? You know. And that huge cult is doing nothing more than trying to pass themselves off as mainline Christianity now. They talk the talk. They know all the words. They know everything there is to... I mean, they know exactly how to portray themselves as Christians. And many of the, uh, uh, many of the, uh, the poor people that get sucked into that don't realize that that's what they're doing. The devil is smart. He's wise as it relates to how to, how to deal with people. He knows how to touch the hot button of a person. I mean, he knows how to get action. You tell somebody, you can be good enough. You just make sure you have a good, solid family, and you make sure that you're honest, and you make sure, oh, be, by the way, cut out all caffeine. And uh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being a little bit unkind now. I'll get away from that. You know what I'm saying. He'll tell you to do all these things and don't do all these things, and you, if you might measure up, and if you do, well, man, there's a place for you in heaven. Our friends and neighbors need to hear the good news of the gospel is that you can't measure up on your own. There is no way that you'll measure up on your own. That Jesus is, is, is the answer. He's the bridge. He's the one who, who makes it possible for us to measure up. They need to hear that. And they need to hear the truth of what's happening in your life. 
at what God's done for you. You know, there's Billy Weber in Dallas years ago had a statement he used to make, and it, I'll never forget it. He said, everybody wants to be saved. He said, we got to look at this like everybody wants to be saved. And the first thought I had was, man, you don't know some of the people I know. <laughs> but then he clarified by saying this. They just don't know it yet. They want to be saved because they want what's, what Christ in his plan of salvation offers. Look what it offers. It offers peace with God. It offers forgiveness. It offers a, an eternal home in heaven. It offers the blessing of knowing that you're right with God here upon this earth. It offers the, 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 the guidance and leadership of the creator of all creation in our lives on a daily, regular basis. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to... Who doesn't want to have their needs supplied? Who doesn't want the peace that passes understanding? Who doesn't want their prov uh, the provision of every need they could possibly have? All of us want that. And our friends and neighbors and our loved ones, they want that. And they, uh, they want the, what the gospel is, is, is offering. They just don't know that it's available to them. Which brings on our job. We ought to be motivated enough to share the good news with them. I don't know about you, but I want the people that I care about most, not only not to have to worry about whether they're going to go to heaven or hell, but I want them to... I want them to know that they can have peace and that, that, that they can have provision. They can have happiness here upon this earth. That ought to be motivation enough for us to want to want to share what Christ has done in our lives with others. Jesus said we're the salt of the earth, Matthew 5, 13. Salt makes a difference. It makes a difference everywhere you find it. It doesn't matter what. Everywhere you find salt, it makes a difference. It gives taste to food that otherwise would be bland and tasteless. To me, the worst, if I ever come down with a heart problem and a doctor says, you can't have salt anymore, I'm just going to go ahead and cut my throat, I think, and just go on to heaven. Because honestly, if a doctor says, you can't have salt anymore, you know what that eliminates for me? That eliminates baked potatoes. That eliminates fried potatoes. I love potatoes. French fries. French fries. <laughs> You've got to have salt for it to taste like anything, though, you see? I'll pray for you, sister. But you know what? I guess if we're faced with the alternative, we might change our mind, right? But actually what happens though is salt changes things and makes some, you know what, I wouldn't eat a potato if I could not have salt on it. I'd eat something else. Oh yeah. Believe me. You know what salt does? It makes a difference. Not only does it give value to something, but, but it, it's, it's good 
to give stability to something as well. Salt's a great preservative. Kind of on the same subject. I went to the doctor one time, and and uh, the doctor said, uh, you need to cut down on your salt a little bit. said, you're, you're pickling your heart over years. <laughs> you're preserving it. <laughs> That's why they tell you not to do it. But salt is a good preservative. It even works well when it's used to keep things which are unwanted away. You don't want if you don't want something to grow. If you're interested in killing a tree stump, you know one of the best things you can do to get rid of a, key, a tree stump: go out there and dig a hole around it, pour some kerosene all around the outside and in the center, and then dump a bunch of rock salt all around it. And let me tell you something: nothing will ever grow throughout the course of time ever again in that place that you poured all that junk because it'll, it'll, it's good for something. I'll tell you, salt does a job. It serves some good purposes in our lives. And I say all of that to say this. If we're the salt of the earth, and Jesus said we are, we serve the most important purpose in the world. That of making a difference in the lives of people that we have influence with. We have the privilege of sharing the, uh, the good news about Jesus Christ with them. And, and, and seeing God use our willingness to, to, to share good news to change their lives for the good. Not only for, for eternity, but where they live right now here on planet earth. That, now, I can't think of any greater blessing than that, than to be able to see God make a change in somebody's life because I was willing just to be the salt that I'm supposed to be in this, in this, in this world. Most fulfilling thing in the world. If someone were to ask me, you know, after getting saved, that's got to be the greatest event that ever happened in any of our lives, greatest miracle that ever happened when we call on Jesus, when when I realized I could be right with God and never have to worry ever again about my relationship with Him, greatest, greatest thing that ever happened to me, what's the second greatest thing that ever happened? Being able to lead somebody else to Christ. Because you get to experience it vicariously all over again. I mean, it's just it just reminds you of what happened in your life. It reminds you of how God changed your life, and you get to be the tool that, that God uses to change the lives of people. Well, we need to share the good news about our relationship with Christ. And I know you thought I probably forgot about Romans 8, but I haven't. Look at Romans chapter 8. And I'll give you a first point. We need to share the good news about our relationship with Christ, first of all, because he gives us hope in the midst of hopelessness. Look at verse 28. Romans chapter 8. We quote this till we, it, it just gets to where it's meaningless to us. But it's not. Verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We know that all things work together for good to them that are the called. You see, them that love God and them that are the called, that's people who are saved. Called there is synonymous with those who are saved. 
God works everything for, for our good. When we come, when we hear this message of good news, we have hope in the midst of hopelessness because He makes good things come out of bad things. God doesn't waste anything. Sometimes we sit around wondering, I don't know how he's going to make this one turn something good out of this. But, friends, I want to promise you this. The Bible is true. It doesn't matter how tragic. It doesn't matter how hurtful. It doesn't matter how difficult your circumstance may be. God can use it in your life for your good. And he will. Now, our problem is what we choose to do with it when it happens. There's another reason we, we talk about the, the, what he gives us, giving us hope in the midst of hopelessness. Not only does he make good things come out of bad things, he stands with us when otherwise we would be alone. Look at verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He stands with us when otherwise we would be alone. I don't want to go through, through life by myself. As long as I know him, I don't ever have to worry about that. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. That's a promise from the mouth of God. He's proven that he's willing to give us whatever we need. Because he loves us. Look at verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God said, if I would give you my only begotten son to die for you, why would you think I would withhold something else that is good from you? He gives us hope in the midst of hopelessness. And look at verse 33. Talking about why our friends and neighbors, our loved ones, need why we need to share the good news about our relationship with Christ with them. Not only does he give us hope in the midst of hopelessness, he stands with us when nobody else will. Somewhat akin to one of the things I said a moment ago, but... But let me expand a little bit. Look at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who can accuse God's children of anything? Folks, there are those who accuse us. And the devil is our chief accuser. He continually is accusing us. And we have a tendency, unfortunately, this, sound, this, this sounds kind of strange, but it's true. We have a tendency to want to, to, to help him because of our refusal to accept God's offer of justification. If there's anything that Christian ought to learn about, it's the doctrine of justification. You see, we've been justified before God. You know what? Someone said that if you want to understand the doctrine of justification, just kind of break down the word. Justification, you're just, just as if 
you'd never sinned. That's what it means to be justified in the sight of God. God has justified us as children of God. Yet we have an accuser who stands before, he stands before the throne of God, accusing us, wanting God, look at, look at how they sinned. Look at how they failed. Look at old Hill down there. Wow, what a, what an attitude he's, he's got. What a, look at the failure he is. And then something wonderful happens. God refuses to listen to our accusers. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who can accuse God's elect of anything? It is God that justifies, not not us. You can't accuse me to God of something. God's the one who justifies me. In fact, not only does he justify us, he even intercedes for us when we fail. Look at verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Jesus Christ is making intercession for you and I as believers with the Father. Look at... Uh, Hold your place. We'll come back to Romans 8. Go over and look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Back in the uh, the epistles of John. Right before you get to Revelation. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. I actually look at verse 2. Well, no, go back to verse 1. My little children... These things write I unto you that you sin not. He said, I don't want you to sin. I want you to, I want you to live free from sin. But, but read on. And if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation or the appeasement for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We have an advocate with the Father. An advocate is somebody that goes to bat for you. Remember back in the, in the book of Job? I don't even remember where it's located, but I, I, I just, just happened to come to mind. Job said, you know, he's, he's just all obsessed with his problems, and he's obsessed with the... Uh, what he realizes is, is, is a failure to be in balance with God. And, and he said, oh, if there was just someone who could, who could bring all this into, into balance. If there were just someone. <laughs> I wrote out the margin of my Bible. There is, Job. <laughs> there is someone. And his name is Jesus. He is our advocate. He's pleading our, our cause with the Father. When we fail, Jesus says, and, and, and the devil's saying, look down there. But Jesus says, yeah, but look at me. For you see, he's in me now. He received me. He's been, my righteousness has been imputed unto him. It, I, I, he's been declared righteous because of me, not because of him. Because his faith in me, you see, that's the whole issue. Justified. 
No, we're not, that's not a license to sin. If you're born of God, you're not going to want to sin. I didn't say you wouldn't sin. You're not going to want sin to be your, your practice anymore. 1 John chapter 3 tells us. But when you do, and you will, you just confess it as such to the Lord. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that great news? That's what our friends and our neighbors need to hear. They need to hear that God loves them and that He'll stand with them when nobody else will. Let me give you the third point. It begins with verse 35. He guarantees our victory. People need to know. People need to know that they have a guaranteed win in this whole thing called life. In fact, this passage of scripture right here, you ever wondered why the... uh, the liberal press in America and those who, who hate God, hate, hate George Bush. And this is not politics. I just want to tell you why they hate him. Remember when uh, September the 11th, 2001 happened? And they had a memorial service. And President Bush stood up and spoke. Here are the words that he read. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or a terrorist bomb? That's my words added. Who Shall any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Isn't that awesome? We got guaranteed victory. Ain't nothing going to keep us from winning. Nothing. The devil can throw everything at us he wants to. No matter what kind of attacks we're under, he guarantees us a victory. Again, verse 37 answers that question, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. We are winners. People need to know. People need to know that they they can be winners in life. And our job is to share the good news about our relationship with Christ. Because that's how they'll get the, they'll they'll have that knowledge. They'll never know how to get saved unless we share it with them. We've been given a command, and we ought to be so burdened that we'll not let anything stop us from sharing with them. 
whether it's going and talking to them point blank about their soul or inviting them to church or inviting them to a Bible study or somehow get them under the sound of the gospel. That's our job. I can't think of any greater illustration of, of what of the point that I'm trying to get across to you this morning than, than my own wife. And I've shared this with some of you, and some of you in Bible study, we've talked about it, but it'll do you good to hear it again. My wife and I had been saved a short time, probably a year or maybe two at the very most. Nah, we had probably hadn't been a year hardly. We were working with teenagers uh, when we got saved. Well, we wanted to serve. We weren't saved to sit. We were saved to serve. We we the pastor gave us a, a, a Sunday school class, and in that class, uh, junior high kids, and along with the high school department, we went to a a youth rally over in a, one of our sister churches <clears throat> there in the city of Fort Worth. <clears throat> and we went, and I don't even remember who was preaching. It doesn't matter. I had, a, had an evangelist come in to speak to the teens, and he challenged us, and he challenged those teenagers to talk to their friends about Christ. And, and to live a life that's serious about the Lord instead of just uh, trying to strap him on as some sort of a life preserver. My wife and I came home from that, that meeting that night, and it was late when we got home. And I went in the bedroom and was kind of getting ready. I'll never forget this. Uh, I was getting ready to go to bed, and usually, you know, we're kind of doing that simultaneously, and I didn't know where she was. I got and so I, I saw a light on in the kitchen and dining room and went in and to see what she was doing. She was writing a letter. And she was writing a letter to her brother, seven years her senior, who was lost. Mr. I'm making the big bucks. I'm buying the Rolex watches. I got the big bass boats and the Corvettes and all the money I need. I don't need anybody else. I don't need none of that religion stuff. And um, don't bother me with that stuff, you fanatics. She's writing a letter witnessing to him, just sharing the love of Christ with him in this letter. <laughs> and she poured her heart out in this letter. Not a thing offensive in there at all. No condemning, no condemnation from her of him. Just love. And that Christ loved him just like he loved her. And she wanted to see him saved. He got the letter and man, he he wasn't as impressed as we were with that letter. He got mad as a dog. I mean, he was fit to be tied. And what was, prior to that letter, a pretty close relationship turned into, 
we'll see them about once or twice a year, and then it's very walking on eggshells, being sure that you know you didn't, small talk didn't mean anything because we're going two separate directions totally. And he wouldn't talk about it. Uh, he didn't want to hear about it. And so we decided we can't talk to him anymore about it, but we, he can't keep us from praying. And we talked to him as much as we could, and then we began to pray. And we prayed, and we prayed every night together on our knees as husband and wife for my wife's brother. And we'd prayed for a long time, and we'd get discouraged and think, he's never going to get saved and just want to quit. Nah, he's worth it. We're going to keep praying. We prayed for ten long years. You pray for somebody every night for ten years. You kind of, you kind of have a burden for them. In a process of time, after ten years of prayer, and I won't go into the circumstances surrounding how he came to know the Lord. That's another story. But suffice to say that he was in one of our church services one morning, which was an unusual thing for him. And I preached and gave an invitation for people to come forward when they received Christ, that they could receive Christ if they would come forward. And I looked up, coming down that aisle. I like to flew completely out over the congregation and back. His. Oh, it puts joy in your heart, I won't tell you. His name was Ray. His dad's name was Ray also. A little short guy. You can look at Pam and figure that out. A little short guy, and his dad was a little short guy. Just like him. And we had a little short guy <laughs> in the service that morning. One of the men of the church. His name was Ray. And Ray led Ray to Christ. Right there at an old-fashioned altar in a church service. Just like this. Because Ray's sister loved him enough that she'd pray for him for ten long years and did not give up. She talked to him about the Lord. She poured out her heart to him. She risked their relationship. I want to tell you, it's a good thing she did because six months after he came to know the Lord, Ray went to heaven, 43 years old. Was it worth it? You bet it's worth it. Do you know when your friends and neighbors are going to heaven or going to hell? You know when they're going to die? You know when they're going to move off and you'll never see them ever again? I'd say we need to take advantage of an opportunity and take this whole thing called the Christian life seriously. When Jesus said, follow me, he meant it. Follow me and I will make you 
fishers of men. You say, I don't know, I don't know how to share my faith. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I didn't know anything about sharing my faith. I just knew what happened to me. Pam didn't know anything about what, how to share her faith. She just knew what happened to her. And that's the case for every one of us. You don't have to have some kind of seminary course teaching you how to share your faith in Jesus Christ to, 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 to have a burden for your loved ones. Bow your heads with me, please. We really believe in fishing, but nobody's fishing. The church has a tendency to kind of level off in attendance a little bit. And you know what happens? First thing we start doing is trying to figure out what are we doing wrong in our church services? You know, when in fact it ain't got nothing to do with church services. We try to figure out what kind of a program we can come up with that'll you know, boy, we need something that we can offer people that, that'll that'll build a church. And I'm not against programs, and I'm not against having a quality service, and I want everything we do to be quality. But, folks, I want to tell you, when our church starts to level out, and it's done that, it's done that for the last several months. We need to get back to the main thing. We need to get... We need to get back at, to fishing. We need to get back to witnessing. Oh, how important our personal witness for Christ is. You've got friends and you've got neighbors and you've got loved ones that you've got influence with. They wouldn't listen to me if their life depended on it. But I promise you they'll listen to you because you've got credibility with them. They know you. They know that you... Uh, they know the change that's taken place in your life. We want to succeed in our Christian lives. We've got, to, we've got to follow Christ and let Him make fishers of men of us. Our heads bowed and our eyes are closed. Our loved ones need what the gospel offers. In fact, they're searching for those things, the peace and the, and the, they're, they're searching for the confidence in life that they can have. They're searching for, for fulfillment. They're searching for purpose. And you know where they're searching? They're trying to find it on the television set or they're trying to find it in the movie theater or they're trying to find it in, in, in drugs or alcohol or they're trying to find it in, in promiscuous sex or they're trying to find it in all the wrong places. We want purpose. If, if we want to offer them something that's worthwhile, we need to offer them true purpose in life in Christ. Jesus Christ died that we might have life. He said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. I want us today, I want us to make a covenant with God. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm not going to ask for anything other than God knows your heart and he knows my heart. 
And I wonder today if you and I together, will you join me in recommitting myself and, and, and recommitting yourself to becoming a fisher of men? Not one that just talks about it or that agrees it ought to be done, but one that will do it. Father in heaven, this morning, I pray your forgiveness for our coldness and how we've let the cares of this world stifle us. We've let the cares of this world and the and the attractiveness of this world lure us away from doing the main thing, and that is winning people to Jesus Christ. <coughs> Lord, forgive us for that. Help us, dear Father, to get back to following Jesus and fishing for men. Place someone on our hearts, dear Lord. Every one of us, you know the circle of influence we have, someone that we care about. It may, be a, it may be a child or a parent or a brother or a sister or a, or a neighbor or a, a, someone we work with. It could just be anybody. But you know the people that you bring across our paths. Father, give us a burden for their soul. Give us a love for them that says, I'm not going to rest until I share this good news with them. Give us the courage to take the risk that's involved as well. And reward us. I know you will. If we'll, if we'll just sow that risk, we'll reap rewards that we've never even dreamed of. God, help us to be fishers of men. there's one person under the sound of my voice today that's never trusted Christ, help them to know that Jesus Christ is the one who can give them meaning and purpose in life. But they're going to have to come on his terms, not their own. And his terms are faith in him and total surrender. God, save anybody who needs to be saved here today. But today I ask you to to challenge and convict us as believers to do the job you've placed us here on this earth for, to be the salt and the light in this world that is so needed. And we'll praise you for it and thank you for it in Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen. Amen.